Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary. Fight week continues as we get ready for UFC 285 along with AEW Revolution. My name is Peter Klein. You can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. And you can email the show CouchPotatoDiary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the show today, first time in a bit we do some pro wrestling talk as it is AEW Revolution this weekend. It was the go-home show with Dynamite on Wednesday. We will go over that and then it is time to look at the legacy of John Jones. A complicated one that it is. So we got a lot to do. Let's get to it. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein and this is We Had No Idea. A podcast about world events that you know about but might have fallen asleep for during history class. Or social studies, however you learned history in high school. Each week, we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need to top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! All right, let's start with AEW Dynamite, the go-home show. Uh, they started things off for the second week in a row with Orange Cassidy taking on Big Bill. Um, I'm happy they're... Co- Look, Big Bill is not an amazing name unless you're a 1970s wrestler, but I'm happy they're calling him something other than W. Morrissey. Um, and, I mean, look, he got his most popular with Big Cass, so... Is it really that bad? Um, this was, like, just David and Goliath in perfect form. The 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 Stokely Hathaway um, connection is getting stronger. And look, Big Bill has a giant presence. It's not his fault he was teamed up with an absolute douchebag and waste of human flesh in Enzo or the real one or whatever the fuck he's being called now. Um, so I'm, I'm getting to, like, I'm kind of digging this Big Bill. Um, the use of the table spot there, there was a, a giant choke slam through it, a lot of giant choke slams, and then in the end, Orange Cassidy with the orange punch off the top rope to get the victory. Uh, I thought this build up the, um, the you know, like I said before, the David and Goliath story with Orange Cassidy really, really well, and that, it was just, it was so effective. After that, we go to a, a promo with, John Moxley and I thought the the blood in the Moxley Evil Uno match on Dynamite last week was a little excessive. Probably didn't need it, but it set up for a hell of a promo tonight with or last night, sorry. I watched it this morning. Um with John Moxley and at one point the camera pans down and you can see the blood dripping off of his face as Moxley is screaming into the counter. Uh sorry, into the camera talking about how when Moxley injured Hangman Page and won that match, it was considered an accident. But Hangman Page not out John Moxley and he gets praised for it. I thought that was such an excellent job of weaving in real life. Like this is when you think about it in real life, pro wrestling is supposed to be a fight and you're kind of like looking to injure your opponent. Like that, that's kind of what we talk about with this stuff, right? Like it's, we are all under the, like we are all aware that it is simulated combat, but from a TV show standpoint, a guy getting a concussion in a wrestling match, kind of how the shit's supposed to go, right? Again, from storyline standpoint, in real life, it's awful. But for in the context of the television show that we are watching, these guys' goal is to knock the other dude out, right? So Moxley accomplished that. It just so it, it just happened that it was in a real life horrifying incident, and I. 
I, I, I thought it was a great way to, to tie that in. We get the Elite to, to come out, but then right away the lights go out and the House of Black are holding the trio's titles with the, the Elite left laying. And then Samoa Joe comes out on commentary for the face of the Revolution ladder match. AR Fox against Ortiz, against uh, Konsuke Takeshita, against Action Andretti, against Powerhouse Hobbs, against Commander, against Eddie Kingston, against Sammy Guevara. Right away, Eddie Kingston and Ortiz go fighting to the outside. Um... That's kind of where it goes. Kingston and Ortiz fight all the way up the ramp. A bunch of guys come out. You have Sammy Guevara attacking Air Fox with the ladder. We're not going to go over everything, but this was incredible action. You had Commander making his AEW debut, walking the tightrope all the way across the top rope, and then hitting uh, kind of a, a corkscrew moonsault almost to the outside. The crowd, the, the main takeaway from this is this crowd is ready for Konsuke Takeshita to make a real run. And I think that we're going to get into this a little bit more in the Revolution preview coming up later on this weekend. They have done a very good job, and some of the, the criticism people had going into All Out was a lot of, like, We've kind of lost our way with AEW, right? And it was kind of turning into what people mocked TNA and WCW for being, which was too focused on stars of the past and not enough focus on stars of the future. And I think now you look at where AEW is, the people are behind Jungle Boy. The people are behind the acclaimed. Um, the people are behind Takeshita. You have a, a real kind of groundswell for some of the, this next generation. Um, I think they lost their way with it, but I think they found it in a real way with Takeshita um, speaking of which, the, the finish comes, <clears throat> sorry, the finish comes with Powerhouse Hobbs, um, picking up the, the, the win, grabbing the brass ring, so he is the number one contender for the AEW Championship. It's always a little clunky when you have a number one contender for a title that is going to be defended once before the number one contender gets that spot, and this Sunday it'll be Samoa Joe taking on Wardlow. I'm fascinated by how they kind of tie it all in. These are three guys who had a triple threat um, at some point last year for the TNT Championship. I think Hobbs is ready for something big. I think Wardlow is ready for something big. Um, I could see Wardlow kind of getting screwed in some way on Sunday and losing to Samoa Joe, and that kind of spirals him, not into the, the, the heavyweight championship title picture, but putting him kind of on that trajectory, kind of elevating him out of the TNT division, for, for lack of a better term, but then having Hobbs being the one who can take that one. And you can even kind of tell the story that Samoa Joe would be beat up after a, a war with Wardlow, pardon the pun, coming out on Sunday. But um, I think Wardlow really needs... And they've done a good job with it. And again, we'll get into more of this in the Revolution preview. But I think Wardlow has needed a bit of a comeback. And he he's starting to get it. Anyway. Uh, backstage, Chuck Taylor and Trent are not medically cleared to compete in tonight's Casino Battle Royale. Danhausen says he and Orange Cassidy are best friends. They're going to go into it. Cassidy, who just got the hell beat out of him, says... I don't care. So that's as much of a yes as you're going to get for um, Orange Cassidy. So those best friends go into the Battle Royal. Chris Jericho beats the shit out of Peter Avalon in 2.30. Afterwards, Jericho kind of baits Ricky Starks out and the Jericho Appreciation Society um, just beat down. Ricky Starks, and that, that's where that goes. I, I am ready for this feud to be over. Um, it has been a great way to kind of elevate Ricky Starks, which is another uh, younger performer that people are kind of getting behind right now. 
and just creating new stars with. And I, I am ready for Ricky Starks to put this Jericho feud behind him coming up on Sunday. Adam Page is talking in some kind of westerny feel. Um, this was this was a really really good promo. Um, Adam Page says that. Moxley can't take anything away from anything else away from him because he has nothing left to lose. Page says that he's lost the world title. Moxley can't take away his friends, his memory, his feeling, and his heart because, I mean, he, he said he can't take away his friends because he's already lost them. Can't take away his memory because he's already lost it. Can't take away the feeling in his fingers because he's already lost it. And he can't take away my heart because you can't carry it. I thought this was another excellent promo and... I, I think this Texas death match is going to be one for the record books. And I think this is a, a feud that Hangman Page is going to be remembered for. And I think this has been a feud that has kind of reminded everyone that, you know what, like Kenny Omega, maybe, um, MJF, possibly, but John Moxley might be the best wrestler in the world right now. That, that's kind of where I am at. Um, after this, you got Christian Cage coming out, cutting a promo on Jungle Boy. Then we go to a... Uh, a video of Jungle Boy digging Christian's grave, and Christian looked a little bit concerned following this one. So I think that's going to be that. That it, it's it, it feels a little rushed now. Like it, it's funny to say that this feels rushed because um, it hasn't been. It's been dragged on for a long time. But this most recent one just all just kind of felt so out of nowhere. And I don't know if this pay per view needed it. I thought this could have been something that you build up with at the end of Revolution. But this is another one where I'm happy to see. Jungle Boy kind of put this behind him and and move onward. I'm so looking forward to this next kind of uh, round, uh, kind of pay-per-view season, I guess, for Dynamite, as I guess Double or Nothing would be the, the next pay-per-view coming up. But th this, has been, this has been such a great build. And, well, maybe not a great build, but there's a lot of long-term stories that are coming to an end here this weekend, and I'm, I'm really interested to see how or where we go from here. FTW title up next. The Matt Hardy, Ethan Page, Stokely Hathaway thing uh, could come to an end at any point. Like, I'm just kind of over it. Uh, Hook gets the win, which means that he now gets a match with Stokely Hathaway. It'll be a, a no-DQ match with a firm ban from ringside, so I'm sure this will lead to some kind of shenanigans at some point. It's great to get Hook, uh, at least, something. The, uh, not Blackpool Combat Club, the House of Black come out next. They cut a promo on the trio's tag team champions, the the Elite. And then we go into a Tony Storm versus Riho match, which is all just kind of fodder for all madness to break loose for the, the, the three women who are going to be in the women's championship match coming up on Sunday. I, I, I still haven't really been able to get behind this one. I think that, the Ruby Soho's involvement in this, like, it just, it, this this feud has not gone out of gear one yet. Like, you just have Tony Storm and Soraya just being like, you guys haven't been where we've been. Um, and then that's basically it. And Ruby Soho's like, well, I kind of have been. And she's caught in this middle land. But it just, it hasn't gone out of gear one. Like, it's very 80s in not a good way. Um, and this is... It's another one, too, where it's like the Millionaire's Club against the New Blood, which is not a, a feud that I, I think people are really clamoring for. I think it was an interesting concept in 2000. Um, if it was done well, it wasn't. And I don't think people are like, oh, man, you know what would be awesome? This. No. Uh, no. No one's really clamoring for it. The match itself should be fun. Um, and if one thing, we've been able to get some good Jamie Hayter promos 
out of this. Keith Lee and Dustin Rhodes cut a promo on Mogul Affiliates. They're going to be facing off on Rampage. And then it was the Casino Tag Team Battle Royale. Um, this was a little bit clunky for me. I, the, like normally their Casino Battle Royales, when you get a suit, um, like a card suit, you have a group come out at a time. And that didn't really happen here, but it kind of happened here. The intervals were so obviously skewed and you only had a few number of teams. And then there wasn't a real big dramatic, like, okay, this is the final team. You just had like Butcher and the Blade and the best friends in there at the end, Tony Schiavone going, all right, these are the last two teams. I was like, oh shit, okay. Um, and a lot of times at the casino um, ladder match, you have the, the Joker at the end. And I was 100% expecting that to be like an FTR or something. Like you, you had the acclaimed with the line, um, someone through the forbidden door. I don't think that was former TNA executive Jeff Jarrett and former ROH champion Jay Lethal. Like that, this just, you kept waiting for it to get cool. And then it didn't. And there was like four teams in the ring and you're like, I don't, I don't care about any of these. Like the the Lucha Bros coming off of one of the great series of all time are just kind of bit players in this. Aussie Open, who everyone seems to be hot and bothered for, and AEW kind of like says, oh, this is a big deal. They're facing the Young Bucks. We don't have, we, we have not been told a reason why this is a big deal. They lose everything. It just, it felt, it all felt very clunky to me. And in the end, it's Danhausen and Orange Cassidy. And one of the, like, I, I understand, I, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, saying you need to build up, like, some of these younger stars on one hand. But on the other hand, one of the cool things about AEW and one of the things that they kind of promoted was their tag team division was better than any tag team division in the world. And that, like, you look at this Fatal 4-Way now, it is Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett against the, the Gun Club, against the Acclaimed, against Danhausen and Orange Cassidy. Aside from the acclaimed, and that is more for character work, which, by the way, has been phenomenal. I, everyone loves the acclaimed, including Couch Potato Diary. Do, do not get it twisted. But this does not feel like a representation of the best tag team division in the world right now. You know, like just comparing it to WWE, uh, I don't know if, if we were to put a, a fatal four-way together of tag teams featuring the WWE and AEW... I don't know if any of these are getting selected ahead of four teams from WWE. You know, like the, the Street Profits are definitely in ahead of them. Same with the Usos. Same with the, the, the New Day. Maybe you put the Acclaimed in at four. Um, but I, I just like that this, this does not feel like the tag team division that AEW was building up with. And like it, it made sense to go Gun Club with the Acclaimed. But now that the Gun Club have the tag team titles, it feels like those belts need a lot of rehabilitation. I'm hoping it gets away from them. Like they, they've done a fine job, but they are not the best tag team in the world. And to, to not have any of these guys there, um, to, to not have any of these great teams in there is, is really disappointing. And then we get the promo segment to end the show. It is MJF taking on... Um, Brian Danielson in a mic battle. Um, Danielson, I, I guess Danielson said everything in this. I don't know if MJF even said a word. Um, but Danielson cut a great promo. I still don't think the fact that this is an Iron Man, Man, Iron Man match is being played up nearly enough. But there was at least a few more mentions of it. Uh, and then the, the obvious at the end, Brian Danielson with the F-bomb. Uh, he also says that MJF deserved to be divorced and said he hasn't worked for anything. It, it's been a fine buildup. It, it's been the same buildup for a number of other ones where a guy just has to run through a bunch of challenges to get to the champion. Um, 
So that's a little disappointing, but this is going to be such an excellent match, and I think a real opportunity for MJF to, to kind of silence any critic he may have had go, going into this feud. So overall, a, a fine go-home uh, segment, a fine go-home show. It, if AEW didn't have the repu uh, rep reputation, holy cow, of having blow-away pay-per-views and some of the, the greatest pay-per-views you've ever seen, then... I don't know if I'd be amped for this, but it's because it's an AEW pay-per-view and they have set the bar so high that I am very excited for it. I'm disappointed there's no Lucha Bros on this. That's a little blah. Um, to me, Ray Phoenix should always be around a main event picture and Pentagon should just always be on television because of how cool he is. But aside from that, like this will be fine. And we'll get into a preview of AEW Revolution coming up later on this week. So that is the go-home show for AEW. When we come back, it is time to look at the legacy of John Jones. All right, it is our second legacy look of the week, getting ready for UFC 285, and it is John Jones taking on Cyril Gunn for the vacant heavyweight championship of the world. Let's, that there is a lot to go into with the John Jones legacy. Let's start with the fighting and we will get into the other stuff later. John Jones bursts onto the scene at UFC 87 with a unanimous decision win over Andre Guzmao. And then you can see immediately there is kind of a rocket strapped to this guy's back. He beats Stefan Bonner at UFC 94 and then gets not a prominent spot, but not not a prominent spot on up to that point, the biggest show in UFC history, UFC 100, with a submission victory over Jake O'Brien. The lone blemish on his record comes after that with a disqualification win against Matt Hamill. He literally lost because he was kicking the shit out of a guy too hard with the straight up and down elbows. Those are illegal. That is a disqualification. Them's the breaks, my dude. But then after that is where the real run starts. And really, it hasn't ended. Um, he comes out and just whoops on Brandon Vera. Then a big victory over Vladimir Matushenko. He is the headliner for both of these. It is the, the UFC on versus, I believe, for both of these fight cards. Uh, and then UFC 126. He absolutely annihilates Ryan Bader, uh, Ryan Bader in what was, at the time, like these are two... The two up-and-coming fighters in this sport, in this division, like, that this could be the next great rivalry. And John Jones just absolutely big-brothered him to the point where I think Bader actually had to leave the UFC to build his reputation back up. And then in the cage, John Jones is told that the opponent for UFC 126 for uh, Shogun Hua has to step away because of an injury. I believe it was Rashad Evans. Um, let me just see here real quick. Yes, Rashad Evans had to, to step out of that UFC 126 bout. And so in the cage, Joe Rogan asks John Jones, do you want to fight for the UFC's 205 pound championship? And Jones breaks down crying and says that he will, which sets up the absolute star-making night. UFC 128 just... Over a month later, John Jones faces Mauricio Shogun Hua, a legend in the sport, and absolutely dominates him for three rounds en route to light heavyweight championship, and the John Jones era is born. And it's something I have thought about a lot this week in watching fights, in getting ready for this particular bout. It is so disappointing 
that this man has turned out the way he has with the, um, the, the behavior that he has exhibited. Because in the cage, there is not a soul like him. He is so dominant. And he had such an elite run of victories. Are, were some of these guys maybe a touch post apex? Yes, but th these are still fighters at the tail end of their prime. He submits Quentin Jackson in the fourth round. He submits Lyoto Machida in a finish that everyone will remember from UFC 140 in Toronto, where he has him in a, a, a guillotine standing up against the fence. Machida's arm goes limp and John just drops him and Machida crumbles to the ground. After that, it is the grudge match of all grudge matches. UFC 145 against Rashad Evans. Um, you get the, the famous line that Rashad has ruined his special night on multiple occasions. I don't think you can properly express to people at the time how much hatred was involved in this particular match in this particular fight where Rashad Evans was a training partner of John Jones, welcomed him into Jackson Wink and was like a big brother. And then felt like John had like felt like Rashad was getting passed over for some of these amazing opportunities. And it just created such a rivalry between these two. John Jones gets the win at UFC 145 by unanimous decision in Atlanta, Georgia to defend the light heavyweight championship. After that, he beats Vitor Belfort by submission again in Toronto. Um, just absolutely annihilates Chael Sonnen. And then UFC 165, one of the greatest fights in the history of the sport. John Jones takes on Alexander Gustafson and wins by unanimous decision. Gustafson was never the same after this fight. Jones, the, the peak didn't really last much beyond this, um, to, to be perfectly honest with you. But like this was an absolute war. And this was the first time you could make a case that Jones actually lost a fight. Um, and Jones like was actually beat. It, it felt like you could make a compelling case that Alexander Gustafson had taken the crown from him on that night. After that, it is Glover Teixeira at UFC 172, and John Jones annihilates him. And this is where, um, this is where you get the 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 first little bit from, um from John Jones where you kind of, maybe not the first little bit, but this is where you kind of understand this guy is on a different level. And that is with Glover Teixeira, um, losing to, to John Jones. And then in a post fight kind of thing with Rogan after John Jones goes, Hey, the reason I fought him this way was because like I, I needed to crowd him so that he couldn't get his power shots off. And it wasn't just like a, Oh yeah, I just like went out and fought my game. Like he, he went through his game plan. You say, Oh, with the physical gifts that this man has, there is also incredible technical kind of mastery that he has and a real understanding of the game of mixed martial arts. And then it is another heated rivalry and probably the rivalry that will define John Jones where he beats Daniel Cormier by unanimous decision. Um, it was a heated rivalry, such a heated rivalry and will continue to be a, a heated rivalry. The, it seems like there's been a bit of a squashing of things following um, the, the retirement of Daniel Cormier, but these two guys hated each other and they were so polar opposites. John Jones, tall, chiseled out of stone, head kicking guys with every vice 
that is bestowed upon a heavyweight champion, John Jones falls for. On the other hand, Daniel Cormier, not chiseled out of stone, but technically phenomenal, technically elite, former Olympian, has gone through personal heartbreak um, with, with family members and professional heartbreak with weight cutting issues at the Olympics. A multi-division champion, Daniel Cormier, kind of playing the role of a Captain America, but he would end up falling to the villain. And this was kind of peak villain era for John Jones as he beats Daniel Cormier. Then at UFC 197, um, after John Jones is stripped of the title for violating the UFC's athletic code of conduct policy, it is an interim lightweight championship bout where he defeats Ovens St. Prue. Um which sets up another one, UFC 214. It was supposed to be UFC 200, John Jones against Daniel Cormier, but John Jones tests positive, so he cannot fight. They push it to UFC 214, John Jones against Daniel Cormier for the light heavyweight championship. John Jones does win in a bout that is overturned once again after John Jones is stripped for testing positive for Tyrannoball. Um... Apparently, people were. This is where micrograms, I think, came in, and it was oh, it was like a a grain of rice in a, a swimming pool. Yeah, they still caught it though. After this, uh, another fight against Alexander Gustafson, and this is where things start to fall off for John Jones professionally. He defeats Anthony Smith. Um, could have lost by disqualification. He landed an illegal knee in the fourth round, was deducted two points, still won. Anthony Smith could have stopped the fight there and ended up winning by disqualification, which would have muddied up the, the title picture even more. But John Jones did not dispatch of Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos, or Dominic Reyes in ways that I, I think anyone thought he would. And that leads to, I think, the big question mark coming into this fight. Because at some point, we can pass it off as arrogance. We can pass it off as, oh, he's just underestimating his opponents. At some point, it might just be who he is. And he might be playing it off as, oh, yeah, I wasn't really trying that hard. The same thing kind of happened with Anderson Silva. Like, it started to fade a little bit. And, oh, yeah, he was just dicking around. It's like, eh, he probably would have lost to Weidman anyway. Um, I feel like that's kind of where we are at with, with John Jones. So, what does he have for Cyril Gunn. Can he get back to the Daniel Cormier level? Can he get back to the level of the fights with Alexander Gustafson? Maybe, but those fights were six years ago minimum. We will see what he can get to. A conversation about John Jones is not complete without talking about the controversies that this man has had to deal with in his life. And I, I say had to deal with. Um, he has firmly put himself in all of these spots. He has no one to blame but himself for all of these. So um, admittedly, I'm going through these on Wikipedia, but all, all of these are, are very much verifiable. 2015, Albuquerque, New Mexico police state that John Jones is sought in connection with a hit and run. Jones was alleged to have run a red light, crashed his rental car in a collision involving two other vehicles. John Jones allegedly fled the crash on foot, leaving an injured pregnant woman behind in another vehicle. The incident was witnessed by an off-duty officer who identified the subject uh, according to witnesses it was john jones paperwork found in the rental car was under the name jonathan jones um he was stripped of his belt for violating the athletic code of conduct he posted bail um and where was it here on september 29th 2015 he pled guilty to leaving the scene of an accident and was subsequently sentenced to 18 months of supervised 
probation. He was authorized to travel for work purposes. He met all the conditions, which included 72 separate appearances for charity and youth outreach, avoiding a felony charge on his criminal record. In an interview in December of 2016, Jones admitted that he ran from the scene of the accident and had not checked on the occupant of the other vehicle. Dece uh, September 24th, 2021, a day after Jones was inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame for his fight with Alexander Gustafson at UFC 165, police were called to Caesars Palace Resort in Las Vegas, Nevada, responding to a domestic incident. According to a police report obtained by news site MMA Fighting, a 911 call was made by a hotel security guard when Jones's youngest daughter requested help, claiming there was a domestic incident between Jones and his fiance Jesse Moses. Cops arrived in minutes, cutting Jones off as he was attempting to flee the scene. Officers detained Jones and began to investigate the situation. While they detained Jones, others went into the room to further investigate and get Moses' side of the story. When they arrived to the room, they observed her with blood on her face and clothing and a bump on her lip consistent with someone who had been struck. Um, on December 16th, it was revealed that domestic battery charge against Jones was dropped as for the fellow, uh, felony tampering with a police vehicle charge. Jones pled no contest and was ordered to pay $750 in restitution, attend anger management therapy, and was given a court order to stay out of any further legal trouble. Um... We go from there, now bouncing around a little bit, as this is in the other legal troubles category. Early morning of May 2012, John Jones uh, drove his car into a pole in Binghamton, New York. He was arrested for driving under the influence and was bailed out by his mother. He pled guilty to DUI charges and was ordered to pay a $1,000 Fine. In 2019, John Jones had been charged with battery for an alleged incident in April of 2019 involving a cocktail waitress at a strip club in Albuquerque. The waitress claims that John Jones slapped her, put her in a chokehold, and kissed her on the neck and touched her after she asked him to stop. The bench trial of the case was held on September 26, 2019, where Jones pled no contest to the charges and received a 90-day deferred sentence whereby he must avoid arrest, not violate the law, consume no alcohol or drugs and not return to the scene. He was also ordered to pay court fees during his unsupervised probation period as per the court document. John Jones was also arrested in the early morning of March 26, 2020 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. According to police reports, an Albuquerque PD officer heard what sounded to be a gunshot and upon further investigation, observed a black Jeep with Jones in the driver's seat. After noticing signs of intoxication, the responding officer administered a field sobriety test, which Jones failed. Jones was given a breathalyzer test and registered uh, a BAC, uh, which is... Uh, blood alcohol concentration. Um, it registered more than twice the legal limit. Police then searched Jones's vehicle while arresting him for DWI and found a partially empty bottle of Mezcal as well as a black handgun under the driver's seat. Jones was arrested on the scene and taken to jail. Altogether, Jones was charged with aggravated DUI, negligent use of a firearm, possession of an open container, and driving with no proof of insurance. On March 31, it was announced that Jones had pled guilty to the DWI charge after accepting a plea deal in which other charges would be dropped. He was sentenced to four days house arrest, one year of supervision. Also, these ones, certainly uh, a bit more victimless crimes. Um, January 6, 2015, it was announced that John Jones failed a drug test prior to UFC 182. He tested positive for the primary metabolite 
of cocaine. Uh, he was randomly tested on December 3rd, 2014, and the results came back December 23rd. Prior to the UFC 182 bout with Cormier, Jones's testosterone was considered by some experts to be alarmingly low. Um... Victor Conte said of Jones's test, these levels are highly suspicious for John Jones. In my opinion, this is the reason that sophisticated anti-doping officials do target testing. So based on what we see here, my opinion is John Jones should be on a very short leash and should be randomly tested here until sort of uh, until they sort out why he has these anomalies. Uh, head of UFC 2000 on July 8th, 2016, a urine sample from Jones tested positive for two banned substances um, prior to a scheduled championship bout with UFC Daniel Cormier, a violation from an A sample collection on June 16th with subsequent testing of B sampling confirmed doping. UFC 214. August 22nd, 2017, it was announced that Jones was flagged for a potential doping violation by USADA, stemming from his test sample that was collected on July 28th, one day before his rematch against Daniel Cormier at UFC 214. He tested positive for an anabolic steroid and was placed on provisional suspension. As a result of this, on September 13th, the California State Athletic Commission announced that it had overturned the results of the fight with uh, Cormier from a DQ victory for Jones to a no contest. Jones stated he did not knowingly take any prohibited substances. And UFC 232, John Jones became eligible to fight again on October 28th, 2018. He was scheduled to fight Alexander Gustafson at UFC 232 in Las Vegas on December 29th. However, further inconsistencies arose with his drug tests on December 23rd. He was not granted a license to compete in Nevada, so the event was moved to Los Angeles. In order to receive a license from the California State Athletic Commission, Jones had to enroll role in the Voluntary Anti-Doping Association testing program, thus making him the first UFC fighter to be signed to both USADA and VADA testing programs simultaneously. Uh, drug tests administered at UFC 232 found a ultra-trace amount of teranobol, which doctors attributed to long-term pulsing effect of the M3 metabolite detected in 2017. CSAC did not take disciplinary action against Jones, as the medical experts stated that there was no evidence that Jones had re-administered a banned substance and no performance-enhancing benefits were gained. So again, this is one of the most talented fighters I have ever seen in the history of mixed martial arts, and I've seen them all. But you cannot tell this story and you cannot celebrate this man knowing everything that we have just run through. If you just want to look at the fighting stuff, and some people do, um, and I, I can't even totally blame you for that. Like, look, if, if we weeded out every bad person who's ever fought, there'd be like eight guys. But this is above and beyond. But if you do weed, if you can look past all of this, then yes, this is one of the greatest fighters and probably the greatest fighter who has ever stepped foot in the octagon. And he has a chance to add to this legacy one more time against Cyril Gaon. The problem for me is that no matter how long this resume gets, it is never going to be able to outrun the rap sheet he has and the transgressions that he has done in his past. And anytime he has issued any apology or anytime he has issued any sort of um, 
I guess, statement of accountability, it has always been, I'm sorry to the people who believed in me. I'm sorry for letting my fans down. There has never been any accountability taken from John Jones. It has only ever been, I apologize to the people who are close to me who I have let down. That, it, it, it just simply, simply is not enough. Um, for, for, for me to, to even think that this guy has considered what his actions have meant to people. So there is the complicated legacy look at John Jones. When we come back, it's time for today's ticket. Some of the music on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. All right, now time for today's ticket. Uh, we have a couple of things on uh, on the go today. Again, another busy Thursday in National Hockey League. Um, oh man, Toronto plus a goal and a half against the the Flames. Really? Uh, okay, so at stake we can get the the Leafs at plus one hundred. Uh, sorry, a plus 101 over the Calgary Flames. I I think the Flames kind of gave it all against Boston. So I like uh, Toronto as an underdog in that spot very, very much. Uh, so we will take that one. Certainly, Boston minus a goal and a half against the Buffalo Sabres is one that we are certainly going to be jumping on there. Um, man, Tampa Bay plus one, or my plus one fifty two at minus one and a half against the Pittsburgh Penguins is tempting, but I am going to pass on that. And that's probably what we're going to be doing right now. Moving into the basketball, only four games on the ticket this evening. Ah, uh, I don't love anything on the this ticket. You know what? The Raptors are playing some pretty good basketball right now. We will go Raptors minus one and a half against Washington at bet 99. So three games on the ticket this evening. It is Toronto minus one and a half against Washington. The Buffs, uh, Boston Bruins minus one and a half against Buffalo Sabres. And Toronto to win straight up against the Leafs at plus 101. We will hit track and that is today's ticket. And that's today's show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. UFC preview coming up on Friday. We will talk to you all then as my cat jumps up at the end of the show. Have a good day, everyone.